Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Lunchtime Learning. We have another returning guest today, Mr. Steve Wayne, who is celebrating his 20th anniversary in 2024 of starting Benjamin Stevens. So congratulations on your anniversary. Welcome back. How are you thanks doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. How are you doing? All right? Yeah, really, really well, thank you. So tell it's us like the journey. I haven't seen the changes. It's been a long time, seeing as we're two minutes from each yeah. other. Mind you, we did manage to bump into each other. Um, I know, twice in a week. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? Anyway, 20 years. Congratulations. So Thank how you. did it all start? At 22, what made you want to start your own business? Um, ironically, I, so I got into agency when I was 17, and I did um, a business plan when I was still at college, how to run the state agency in Edgware. <laughs> maybe that was the, uh, the the part of it. I, I was awful at college, but it was the one thing I got an A for. Um, and I, I sort of came from a, you know, my family had um, their own business. I came from that sort of background. Um, and it's interesting how, how life happens. I ended up with an argument, having an argument with my boss on my 22nd birthday. And then my mum made me go back and apologise. And I stayed there for a few months and just started building the brand, making a plan. And then it got to Christmas and he sort of turned around and go, look, I don't think there's any point in you coming back. And it was interesting. I always think to myself, I wonder what would have happened if he wouldn't have had that conversation with me. Because he sort of forced my hand to go and open on my own. And and actually making that decision to leave a job and to, to go for it is sometimes the hardest bit. And I was quite lucky. I got someone who sort of said, you're not wanted here anymore. And it sort of made it an easy decision to just sort of go for it. And at 22, you've got absolutely nothing to lose. I lived at home with my parents. My costs were low. I had a couple of investment flats by that point. So I had income and, and I was fearless. You know, if I opened up the business now at 42 with a wife and two kids, it would be a completely different mindset and attitude. So I, so I think I was very lucky at the time I did. It. I just didn't really think about what I did. I just did it. So you've gone from one branch for two branches, to having a hub, to having sales progressors, to having auctioneers, an auction department, um, high-end properties. Okay, so lessons along the way. Let's start with um, setting up, first of all, when you're 22. Appreciate your fearless. Where did those properties first come from? Um, the first ones came from, from my network of people, from my mobile phone. Um, we used to canvas every day. We literally would go out for three or four hours and drop leaflets. And it was interesting. We were talking about it here the other day. But there's one thing dropping leaflets when a company drops them. There's another thing when we get off our chairs and drop them. Because actually, it's, you're not just dropping leaflets, but you're seeing what's, what boards are up and about. You're speaking to people. And you're actually engaging in the community. Um, and we get, like, it's amazing. We get such a better response when we do things. Um, and it's all, sometimes as well. That, that little hour out of the office just gives you a bit of breathing space as well. And we used to be like relentless. Like we would do it every single day. And, you know, everyone I'd speak to, I would tell them about what I'm what I'm doing and what I do. And it's interesting because I speak to a lot of people who estate agency for them is just a job. But for me, it's always been a lifestyle and a, an enjoyable life. So I always say to people, I'm, I'm never working, but I'm always working. And even from day one, we picked up instructions from, people I play football with, you know, friends, parents, you know, we people would remember us because as we'd go out dropping leaflets, we'd sit and we'd talk to people. And we were always very relaxed. You know, we kept our overheads very low at that point. 
So whatever business we did, we did well. And I remember dealing with this lady who had like 25 properties and she's like, I've never dealt with anyone like you. You know, your paperwork's on point. You call me back. You're calm. And I think our reputation grew very quickly. Fantastic. So you must have hired a few colleagues in that time. The hard part of the business. People. So, what, so, what, so what have been your challenges then? People obviously won. What have you found hard about it? Look, I, look, I think, and you know, we go to the um, the EA Directors Club. One of the things there is we've all got the same problem. This is the one thing that comes up with everyone I speak to. You know, staff's the hardest part. And you either get, you've got to find a balance. You know, you want superstars, but you don't want people who are here for six months and move on because they think they can do better. You need people to, to find your house a home. Um, you know, and you want people to to feel comfortable in your business and in your office. And we're lucky enough, you know, we've had people who've been here 14 years, 12 years. We've got some people who are like fewer, eight years now. And it's sort of growing and growing, the, the longevity. I think when we first opened, the hardest point was when you're 22, you can't really hire a 35-year-old and expect them to listen to you. And I think that was, you know, a lot of our problems at the beginning is we were hiring people who were very young, or people who are older who didn't respect us, but I'm the one who's got the business. I'm the one who's taken the risks. So you sort of need to appreciate that. And I'm the one paying the wages. Um, but staff's always, you know, for us has been a problem. Like maybe I, I sort of cause the problems. We get very close and very friendly of everyone. And then they struggle to understand when you get a little bit annoyed because they're not doing any business. And there's got to be a gap between we're friends, but actually I'm running a business here. And I think as I've got older, I've got better at that, of just stepping away. You know, we went out last night for dinner, seven, eight of us. But there's still boundaries between what we what we do and how we behave. So for people watching this, how would you advise that they build their culture? Slowly, with the right people, um, not rushing it. Um, and using your gut. You know, I think there's um, the saying, hire slowly, fire fast. And I think maybe listening to recruiters sometimes going oh they're going to go somewhere else if you don't make a decision tonight can sort of influence you and i think maybe we've rushed you know i've even had people in the past where i thought they're not right for me and i know i've almost talked myself into it but you can't you know if they're not right then you politely say to them this isn't working for either of us and you make sure you have in their cot in your contracts probation periods and you review things with people but unfortunately the state agents are a little bit like footballers they sometimes are on a flying run and sometimes they can't score, you know, for Adam. So, you know, our jobs as, you know, for one thing I've always been good at is having staff and getting the best out of them and trying to understand is everything all right? Because you suddenly see someone who's selling eight houses a month suddenly go from eight to one and you're like, well, is there something else going on in your life? So sometimes you end up running a business. So you're, you know, I used to joke one of my chairs in the office, we called it the crying chair. But I'd talk to people and go, are you all right? And they'd be, well, actually, I'm not. Next thing you know, they're crying about a boyfriend leaving or this happening or that happening. But, you know, and, and some people may or may not agree, but I, you know, I try and look after my staff. I want us all to succeed. I want to see them have better lives. So, you know, I open my door to them. I let them talk and potentially I get too emotionally invested in them. But that's probably why the staff who are loyal are, are uber loyal. But you've got to, you know, I don't open you know, it, it up as easily and as quickly as I used to do. Okay. So that's one way of getting the best out of your team, um, having those conversations. What else are you doing to get the best out of them? 
Um, we, we always, you know, we've always made sure we keep on doing training. I think one of the, the things that probably sets me apart to a lot of people is I go and, you know, not I'm not sitting there downstairs doing sales and doing valuations every day, but every day I'll spend a bit of time just downstairs in the office. And I think if you're there and they see you on the phones and they listen to you and they actually think, wow, this guy's good at what he does, people want to emulate you. People want to, you know, be your running partner. And I think, you know, for us, I've always, you know, I'm a good estate agent. Most people who own estate agents go and own their own businesses because they're really good at what they do. Um, but the reality is, is, you know, once you get staff, that's where the problems are. Okay. So going from one office to uh, opening a second branch, how did you find that and what lessons did you learn on that? We, we had three branches. So the first bit was easy because we had a business partner at the time. Um, but the reality is, is with business partners, there's always a problem. Um, you know, and sorry, <laughs> I've got the whole upstairs of the office to myself and someone's come up and like literally trying to set a house up next to me. <laughs> sorry. Um, but you've got to trust your managers and you've got to believe in them and you've got to give them a little bit of authority to believe that that, that business is themselves their own, but it's not their own. So what's important to me as an owner is profit. What's important to a manager is, is turnover and they've got to understand that, but you've got, you've got to, you've got to trust people and you've got to give them authority and you've got to let them run and feel like it's their own businesses. Um, and you know, we had, we had Joe who worked for me in my brush office for seven years and ran it like his own baby. Um, but also things do come to, sometimes they get to a point where you've got to think, are you still the best for my business? And for him, he only wanted to go to a certain level and I wanted to go to the next level. And you've got to have people that believe in your your way of doing things. There's no point in one office you do things that way and then in the other office you do things in another way. So it's tough. You know, the sec you know, I know many, many companies have problems going from one to two offices. But I think, you know, we've got a great guy running my bushy office now. We speak every morning and every evening. And then we have a, a manager's meeting once a week where we run through where we are with things. But you've got to trust that person. Um, but the manager role is, is a hard role to fill. Um, you know, ironic, I was at Spicers when I was a kid and it was very much, if, if you're a good agent, you become a senior neg. You became a senior neg, you became assistant manager. Became assistant manager, you became a branch manager. But that didn't make mean you're actually a really good manager. It just meant you're a really good neg. And negs want, were desperate to become managers. But actually what happens a lot of the time is you suddenly stop being really good at what you do and you do something you're not very good at doing, but you want that progression. And that's the hard part. I'm really lucky in Edgeware. One of my guys who's been with me, I think now 15 years, he's never wanted to manage. He just loves selling the idea of worrying about anyone else. He couldn't think of anything worse, you know, which, which, you know, is amazing. But I've still got what I've ended up having with him is almost like my eyes and ears, almost borderline family closeness but just doesn't want to manage. It's just not in his DNA. And he just goes and sells and he'd be more than capable of running a branch, but just has no interest. Fair enough. So what do you think it takes to be a top performer, whereas a top performer manager, top performer negotiator, top performer uh, managing director? Um, consistency. I would, I, you know, I know you probably listened to me before talk about it, but doing the, the, the dirty stuff consistently, um, following up, you know, I'm still obsessed with, you know, you go on evaluation, six months later, you should be staying in touch. The reality is by that point, 
they have forgotten who you are. But if you're the guy who's phoning them every three weeks, they'll remember you. But if you're the guy who was brilliant on the sofa but never called them again, they're just simply not going to remember you. So that follow-up and that follow-up and just making sure that, you know, you if you're going to decide that I'm going to do social media, you do it consistently. If I'm going to canvas, you do it consistently. If you're going to prospect, you do it consistently. You can't do um, – I, I read the one of those books, I think it's Atomic Habits. James Clear, yeah, yeah. exceptional. <laughs> and, you know, the book pretty much says – you don't need a whole book. I can summarise it in two minutes – it's not about the end goal. It's about doing the habits and the end goal will come. But if you're, you know, it's like going to gym to try and lose weight. If you're weighing yourself every two minutes, you're going to get, you know, downhearted very quickly because the weight doesn't come off as quickly as you want. But if you worry about going to the gym every day and eating healthily, then eventually that end goal will happen. But it's not about the end goal. It's about the consistency of those small little habits. And I think, you know, I've always been quite good at being consistently consistent and, anyone who's ever worked for me or I've ever done any training with get absolutely bored of those words from me. But as I sort of try and explain to people, that's why I've sort of lasted 20 years. And there's been, you know, hundreds of companies who have come in my area, opened and closed and opened and closed. Um, and one of the reasons we've probably done quite well is we are, we do the boring stuff really well. Well, that's my favorite C word. It's a good C word. <laughs> it's a, it is a good C word. And I think you summed up the book really, really nicely there. So um, you've decided to um, go into auctions. I know you've got a sales progression department now. Um, and um, I put it on record. I'm very impressed with Jacob. I think he's doing a great guy. He's doing an exceptional job. So, the only problem with Jacob's a Watford fan and he keeps on phoning me up, abusing me. Well, I don't know. They can't talk either. So <laughs> anyway, coming back, what what made you decide to um, go down the route of having a sales progressor and, and how's that helped your business? Yeah, we, we've had a sales progressor. Ironically, one of my staff said we really need a sales progressor a few years ago. And we got someone in just when COVID hit and we had, you know, hundreds of sales going through. And um, and then he was the one who said, actually, I don't want to go down that line. And then we've actually gone back into it. I think Negs can get really, for me. Let good people do what they're good at. And Negs are really good at selling houses and you can get really lost. It's a rabbit hole sales progression and you can always make yourself 80% of your time obsessed. And what then what happens, and we had it massively, is Negs would go and sell 10 properties in a month and then two and then four and then 10. And all that was happening is they were trying to get their pipeline through and they stopped worrying about selling houses. So hence why we've got Jacob and it works really well with him. You know, we met... You know, he's got um, he, he does it as a part time thing for us. So he does four hours a day, which is plenty. And he's just a good guy. And I think that's important for sales progress that they've got a good temperament. You don't need someone screaming and shouting at solicitors. That just doesn't work. They just won't take your call. You need someone intelligent, someone polite, someone with a bit of class to him. And, you know, he, he certainly has all of those attributes and just someone who's who's got a plan. You know, you can't be calling solicitors every single day, but. The key really with sales progression is using good solicitors constantly and then those solicitors realise that, hold on, if I don't keep them happy, I'm going to lose all their business. Um, and, and and just trying to avoid those, you know, the ones with, you know, what they premier property lawyers and all of those ones who have got, you know, you speak to Bob today, then you speak to Cheryl the next day and then James and this one. You want to deal with a solicitor who's dealing with a case from beginning to end. 
And I think it's, it's so important for us as estate agents to educate clients about using the right solicitors and they might turn around, what if 250 pound cheaper? You're right, that's fine, but you might end up not buying that property or it might take you four months extra. So um, for us, the sale progressions worked really well and having it in-house is definitely for me the way forward rather than outsourcing it. There's certain things you can outsource. Um, like with our block management business, we've outsourced a lot of our back ends. We've got an office now in South Africa. Um, and that that works for that kind of work. Um, but certain stuff, you want someone English who understands the law, who understands the way we work. And, and for us, it's worked really well. Okay. So what other tech's been working well for you then? Um, it's interesting. I I remember going to take, actually seeing you there at a negotiator conference years ago, and there was tech coming out left, right, and center. And I actually think there's less tech now, but better tech. Um I think more for lettings now, you know, we use Good Lord for our, for our beginning part. We we just started using the depository for the end part of our lettings. And those bits just make things a lot smoother. Um, Lifecycle for keeping in touch is a, is a good system. I'll tell you what's worked really well for us is Stitch, which is a WhatsApp messaging service. And um, it was interesting. My staff couldn't quite get the idea of someone who messaged us on WhatsApp wants to stay on WhatsApp. So they kept on telling people to call the office when they messaged us on WhatsApp. And like, guys, they're messaging us on WhatsApp because they're busy and they don't want to talk us to us on the phone. And actually, it's it's a really good tool. Um, but I think you've got to be careful with, you know, if we put too much tech into our businesses, suddenly humans aren't, aren't needed. I went to Sainsbury's the other day and they've no longer got people on tills. But, and, all, and all the tills didn't work. So there's like 50 people in a line with two tills that worked. And you're like, I turn around to them and go, where are all the humans gone? And I think you've got to be careful. If you make yourself too techy, then actually suddenly estate agents will be replaced. And actually, when you know, I say to people who start here, you're not buying, you're not selling shoes. You're selling the biggest thing people are ever going to buy. You're dealing with something that at worst is going to be a quarter of a million pounds. So actually it needs the human touch. It needs a bit of empathy. It needs a bit of love and support. But if we try and go too tech, and I know some companies go so techy, you actually miss that, that point. And there's so many people who you have a conversation with and they think they want that and they actually really want that. And the only way you work that out is by having a conversation with them or meeting them face to face. I think with, um, with our block management side, we get loads of people who it's just a, a business, unlike a agency where people are moaning. There's no end goal and there's no whim. And... Um, so many of the problems are solved when I go face to face with people and I go and see them because you can see it, you can solve it, you can understand it where, you know, other companies have these tech solutions and they just end up winding people up. And, you know, you must have it. Press one for this, press two for that, press six for that. Before you know, you've been on hold for 45 minutes and you're still choosing options. And I think however good tech is, it will never replace the human element, especially in our business. 100%. Okay, so auctions. So what made you decide to go into auctions? Fine. So with the auctions, we were um, we were doing quite a lot of probate work. And someone um, said to me, why don't you try and sell them in auctions? It's a lot cleaner way. So you're having seven, eight offers on properties and the transparency for them just wasn't there. Um, and then just so happened that I, I um, came across Adam, who used to work at Savills. And he's one of those guys who've sort of come across over my life over the last 10, 15 years where we keep on bumping into each other. And I sort of approached him and said, look, would you be interested in, in doing it together? 
And the reality is there's so much, it's so different to a state agency. Like, I think that if I would have tried to launch the auctions without someone like him, I would have made a real mess of it. Um, and, you know, but we had the first auction, the tech worked really well. Um, we had 20 lots in the first one. We did, you know, we sold, I think, 12. So we did 60%, which was which was good. Um, but it all worked. Um, although the anxiety the night before was was insane because we're, we're a business that every day something's happening where with auctions, it builds up to this one big day of, you know, it's almost like having a party and hoping someone turns up. It's a, it's a really strange feeling, you know, and I'm quite, for everyone who thinks I get stressed, I'm not, I don't get stressed at work. It's for me, business is a game, but it's the first time in 20 years I've actually felt really anxious. I had no control over the outcome. Um, but it's, you know, the great thing is you exchange on the, on the hammer going down and, and your deal's done. And it's very transparent. If you've got four or five people who want something, let them fight it out and then it's done. Whereas when you do things like sealed bids or one legs like running upstairs to tell them what to offer, you know, it's not probably an overly clean way of, of selling something. So for us, it's worked really well and it's opened us up to a lot of new investors, a lot of new clients. Um, a whole, it's a whole different world. Um, and, it's, you know, you look at some of the big auction houses, they're hitting 320 auctions 10 times a year. So there's definitely a market for it. And for us, I think there's definitely a market being an established brand with that that added to it. And we're also working with other agents now as well with it, where if they've got one or two properties, rather than open doing an auction department, we'll work with them. They can keep the fee and we'll just take a small fee from the buyers. Um, so that's probably something which we're really going to push over the next two or three months. Okay, sounds very exciting. It's nice to do something different after 20 years doing the same thing good so who inspires steve wayne that's a good question um I, do you know what i think you know i'm very lucky i always have very inspirational parents who grafted and worked hard and, and you know really graft worked um you know i wouldn't say anyone in, in essence inspires me but you know i look at you know you know i was at the negs and you know things like the people who win the lifetime achievers awards you know you want to be there in 20 years you know you want to be known as, as someone who's gone in and done this industry and done things the right way you know and someone who who people in the industry res can respect and you know aspire to be like and you know i don't think there's anyone in particular but you know there's some there's some really good people in this industry and you know who've always had time for me you know we've always had a really nice relationship you know people like you know, I've always gotten very well. People like Matt Giggs, I find him, you know, someone to look up to. You know, people like Ben Taylor at Keller, you know, I, I really like Ben as a person. Um, you know, the boys up in Grantham, you know, are always nice people to deal with and, you know, push you to be better. You know, Chris Watkins is absolutely never scared to give me his opinion on what I've done wrong. Um, and you just, you know, you just want to, you know, you know, feel equal to these people and, you know, feel accepted into it, you know, the industry. Brilliant. Well, I'm really grateful for your time. So if people want to get hold of you, Steve, people want to um, get in that auction of yours. How do they find you? Just I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. They can call me. I'm sure they can just message you and you'll give them my number. But we're, we're easy enough to find. Brilliant. Well, look, thanks very much for your time. I wish you a successful 2024 and another 20 years or more thank you thank you nice to see you again i should we, we've been really lazy so maybe let's go for a walk at some point
We will do. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks, Stephen. See you soon.